grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. What is it that humans need most? That drives us, that, that gets us out of bed in the morning? Of course, all kinds of different answers can and have been given to that question. The psychologist Sigmund Freud that said what, what people want most is pleasure, and it's the pursuit of pleasure that gets them up in the morning. The philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche said it's not pleasure, it's power. Power is what we want most, and that's what we thirst after, that's what we long after, that's what we drive after. But while those, both of those answers, while they have some truth to it, don't fully tell the story, in my opinion. I think much closer to it is the psychologist and the Holocaust survivor, Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl said that it's not pleasure, it's not power that most drives people. It's purpose. Purpose. He wrote about this in his famous book, Man's Search for Meaning. He said that what we need most as human beings, what we need even more than bread, is purpose. A sense of meaning in the world. A life of significance. That's what we're searching after. That's what we're longing for. That's what we're desiring all of our days. If we have purpose, then we're able to endure almost anything else, as he himself proved through his own life experience. And as we flip the calendar to a new year, I think this is a time of year when many of us are thinking about these things. We're thinking about our life's purpose, our calling, our, our meaning. What are we about? What are we chasing after in this life? It's appropriate that we do so. So I think it's felicitous, it's fitting that our gospel story today is about young Jesus already embracing the Father's purpose for his life. Now, it's a, a startling story for any parent as we hear this. The 12-year-old Jesus goes in the temple. He gets left there for three days. He's just wandering around. And you guys know me and my predilection for Christmas movies. You're expecting me at this point to quote Home Alone. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. It's too easy. I've got a different Christmas movie later in the sermon. But he's not home alone. He is there not only in the company of all the pilgrims who are worshiping at the temple, but most importantly, he's there with his father. He says, well, why are you so worried about me? When they finally track him down, he says to Joseph and Mary, why are you so worried about me? Why are you searching for me? Did you not know that I needed to be in my father's house or otherwise put about my father's business? To which the, uh, Joseph and Mary, it says, they did not understand these words in the understatement of the year. Right? <laughs> They're pulling their hair out. You need to be about your father's business in your father's house. But this is the purpose that has been laid on the Lord Jesus. And his purpose, and what we see in this story, and what we don't see, says something about our purpose as well. And what I want to submit to you this morning is that the divine purpose that God has set forward for his people is a paradox. That it's a paradoxical purpose. It is extraordinarily ordinary. Extraordinarily ordinary. The Father's extraordinary business is carried out in the ordinary lives and circumstances of his people. Extraordinarily ordinary. And as with any paradox, our natural temptation is to relieve the tension and to fall off on one side or the other just to emphasize the extraordinary aspects or just to emphasize the ordinary ones. But what I hope to help us with this morning is not to eliminate the tension but to live in the tension and to find in that place God's purpose for ourselves in 2021 and always. 
But to do that, let's examine more deeply each side of this paradox and, and see how it can go wrong if we overemphasize it. So first of all, on the one hand, there are those who would so emphasize the extraordinary side of our divine purpose that they neglect or overlook the ordinary side to it. And to be fair, I think that this is a natural temptation when we're reading the scriptures and when we're following the life of Jesus and those who came after him. To start with Jesus himself and just the story that we have here. Here is the little 12-year-old Jesus and he's in the temple. And what is he doing? He's not just sightseeing, he's not collecting souvenirs. He's engaging with the religious leaders. And they are astonished at the questions that he's asking, at the answers that he is offering. They're recognizing this is no ordinary child here. He is extraordinary. He has an extraordinary purpose laid on his life. And with the followers who come after him, with Jesus' disciples, he calls them and they live extraordinary lives. The apostles, they leave their nets, they leave everything to follow after Jesus as those first apostles and the missionaries, the martyrs, they go to far-flung lands in order to bring the good news. We see it with the later saints, the church fathers, and with all those who came after following in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus, doing great things, showing forth an extraordinary commitment to the Father's will. So for those who would just emphasize the extraordinary side of it, there's something to that. And so we think in our lives, well, I've got to, I've got to do great things. I've got to do big stuff for the Lord. If my life is going to have meaning, if I'm truly going to embrace the purpose that God has for me, well, then I, I need to do something extraordinary with my life. Otherwise, I'm, I'm failing the Father's business. But is that actually so? There was a story told about St. Anthony, who was one of these early church fathers, a desert father. He was a hermit. He lived in the desert in a goal in an attempt to have an extraordinary life of, of prayer and devotion to the Father's will. And many looked up to him and admired him as this great spiritual leader and teacher of the time. The story is told that St. Anthony was wrestling with what it meant to truly live in tune with God's will. What, what did it mean to be perfect? And as he was wrestling with this in prayer to the Father, God spoke to him and said, Anthony, I'm going to show you what does it mean to be perfect, for you to really live in tune with my will. And Anthony said, okay, I need this information. And God said, I want you to go into the city and to find the shop of a cobbler, a shoemaker. And Anthony's already taken aback by this, like, what, you want me to go into the city? Everybody knows that if you want to be truly perfect, you need to be out here in the desert where nobody can bother you and you can just, you know, drink sand. I don't know what. But no, God says, you need to go into the city and to find the shop of the cobbler. He says, okay. So Anthony goes into town and he finds this rickety little penny ante shop, the shop of this cobbler. And he, he, you know, he knocks on the door and the cobbler opens it and he's astounded. Here's the great Anthony. Here is this great spiritual leader, and an inspiration to all, of other, all the others of God's people. And the cobbler says, please, please, come in, come in, dear father. And Anthony tells him why he's been sent there, that he was praying to the father, God the father, asking what is it to be perfect, and God sent him to his house. And the cobbler says, oh, no, he must have made some mistake. Bless me, he must have made some mistake. I, I can't imagine why it would be. I don't do any good works. And Anthony says, well, tell me, what do you do? What does your daily life look like? And the cobbler says, well, I, I get up in the morning and I pray for my city, pray for my leaders and for my neighbors, and then I just go about my work. I seek to do it as honestly as I can, always to tell the truth, to keep my promises, and, 
And then at the end of the day, I go home and care for my wife and my kids and try to instruct them in the faith. That's it, Father. That's it. There's nothing special about it. But then Anthony suddenly realizes, ah, true perfection is not a matter of going off into the desert. That God is able to do the most extraordinary things in the most humble of circumstances. This is how God works. His extraordinary business is carried out in ordinary ways. Think of the donkey that brings Joseph and Mary into Bethlehem and indeed the donkey that brings our Lord Jesus finally to Jerusalem. That donkey is a kind of figure for each of us. I don't mean that to insult any of you, you understand. But that through these humble means, God does extraordinary things. Indeed, we have in the Lord's Supper with simple bread and wine, the conveying to us the presence of the Lord. When we hold together the ordinary and the extraordinary, we recognize that here is the place where God carries out his purpose and accomplishes his will in that paradoxical place where they are both held together. It's not merely extraordinary, but it is also ordinary. Both of those at the same time. So it was for our Lord Jesus, and so it is for you and me. But if there are some who just emphasize the extraordinary and neglect the ordinary, the temptation can also be on the flip side, only to look at our purpose and our will as being a, an ordinary kind of thing and to neglect the extraordinary. In other words, to become so caught up in the business of life that we lose sight of the Father's business being done in and through you and me. And I think this is an understandable temptation as well. Particularly when we consider something about this story of our Lord Jesus that we have in today's gospel. Now, this is a remarkable story for one particular detail, which is this is the only story that we have of our Lord's youth. You probably knew that. This is the only story that we have from the time that Jesus is an infant all the way up until the time when he begins his ministry around the age of 30. This is it. All the rest of those years in between, we don't have anything. And to the point that uh, people in the Middle Ages were even some of those monks like Anthony were making up different fables and legends to say, well, this is probably what Jesus was doing. He would be playing with his, his friends and they would try to be fishing and then Jesus would pull up 500 fish and all of them would run home sad to their parents, this sort of thing. These are all just made up stories, made up in the, that absence of having other stories about what our Lord Jesus was doing in the meantime, what was happening. And see, when we see that, I think that there's a, um, a, a possibility there for us to look at that and say, well, wait a second. If the Son of God, if the Messiah, if Jesus himself wasn't living a remarkable enough life between the ages of 12 and 30, well, then what hope is there for my life? If even what he was doing was not uh, enough for the biblical writers to record, how can I hope that my life and my purpose would actually be of any significance? There's nothing there. Nobody should pay attention. I'm merely ordinary. How could the Father possibly accomplish his extraordinary will in me and through me? Well, there's something to that I say. But let me give you a counterpoint. There's another way of looking at this. That Jesus, in all of those years lived in obscurity, those unremarkable moments as a, as a carpenter and caring for his parents, submitting to them, which Martin Luther says that submits, that um, summarizes the whole of the Lord's young life, that he submitted to his father and his mother. Another way of looking at this is that if Jesus lived in that kind of obscurity and simplicity, 
perhaps he is redeeming that life for you and for me. That he is sanctifying the ordinary for all of us. I picture it in my mind's eye like this, that it's like through our Lord's life and his, his presence among us, his ministry, it's like this divine sponge that comes down into creation and that it sops up all of those ordinary lives and experiences that Jesus had. And in so doing, it sanctifies all of reality. If that's how Jesus lived in that kind of ordinary, quotidian, mundane way, well, then our lives, our ordinary experiences and reality can also be and are also so up by the Lord, are captured and caught up into his divine purpose and will. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Let me give you another illustration, and here's where I return to another Christmas movie. Not, not Home Alone, but maybe the greatest one of all, It's a Wonderful Life, right? And It's a Wonderful Life is in many ways this kind of story of a man embracing that he has an extraordinary, ordinary life. George Bailey, you know this story. George Bailey is struggling and wrestling with the, the life that has been laid upon him as he's just taking care of this penny ante building and loan, that he has this life in this one-horse little old town, Bedford Falls, and he can't wait to shake the dust off of his feet to go out and to do something extraordinary, that he is going to travel, he's going to invent things, he is going to gr do great stuff. That's what he dreams of. That's what he, he longs after. But, as the saying sometimes goes, life is what happens when you are pursuing other things, right? And as he's going throughout his life, all of those big picture ideals, they just don't come to pass. And he laments it, bemoans it, and thinks, here am I. It's all just blown. It's all a waste. So I've lived this ordinary life. But you know where it goes from there. The angel, uh, what's the angel's name again? Clarence. Clarence shows him what life would have been like if George wasn't there. All of the ways that incredible things, extraordinary things, were done in and through him. It's a beautiful story. But I think it's possible for us to miss the even more profound point there. A point which I grant to you is easy to overlook with the, well, coming from a, a the theology geek like myself, the somewhat unsophisticated theology of the film, which is that God is taking notice of what little George Bailey is doing in this little old town. And that's how the movie starts, right? God is sending the angel, Clarence, to go down and to uh, attend to George Bailey because in this ordinary life, in this ordinary town, his extraordinary purpose is still being carried out. And I'll go one step further. I think that the message of the movie is that indeed that story, It's a Wonderful Life, could have been told just as well about Bert and Ernie about Mr. Gower, or indeed about anyone in the movie, even as it could be told about any of us, see? Because the Father carries out his extraordinary, ordinary will in your life and in mine, in ways beyond our knowing, so that when we live in this paradoxical place, holding together both the extraordinary and the ordinary, we recognize that our day-to-day -day lives are able to be caught up into his grand cosmic purpose in ways that we could never even recognize or realize in this life, that God is working in you and through you, carrying out his business through you, in your mundane vocations, in the things that you're doing in day-to-day -day life, caring for a spouse or a parent, caring for your kids, doing your job, doing your business, taking care of your employees, honoring your employer. In all of these ways, large and small, the Father's extraordinary, ordinary business is done. And I want to quote here from an author named Tish Warren in her book, 
the liturgy of the ordinary. She puts this beautifully. She says, Christ's ordinary years are part of our redemption story. Because of the incarnation and those long unrecorded years of Jesus' life, our small, normal lives matter. If Christ was a carpenter, all of us who are in Christ find that our work is sanctified and made holy. If Christ spent time in obscurity, then there is infinite worth found in obscurity. If Christ spent most of his life in quotidian ways, then all of life is brought under his lordship. There is no task too small or too routine to reflect God's glory and worth. There is no task too small or too routine to reflect God's glory and worth. And I know what you want to say. I know what you want to say. Oh, Pastor, that all sounds well and good, but you don't understand. I'm just a grandmother. I'm just a a widow living at home. Or I'm just a, a mother or a father. I'm just a day laborer. I'm just working in order to take care of myself, to to take care of my family. I'm just this. I'm just that. And I get it, all right? I get it. But hear me now. Because in Christ you are just, which is to say in Christ you are justified, forgiven, redeemed, made holy, and filled with the Holy Spirit. Because in Christ you are just, you can never then say I'm just. Are you with me now? Because in Christ you are redeemed and made holy and filled with the Holy Spirit so that everywhere you go, in everything you do, you are spreading the perfume and the aroma of the risen Lord Jesus. You can never say, oh, I'm just this, I'm just that. You do not know the ways that the Father is accomplishing his extraordinary will and business in you and through you. You will not know until finally on that last day when we are welcomed into our heavenly home and then we will receive news and word from the Father. All of the ways, like George Bailey did, we will see all of those things large and small, those routine tasks, those things that you overlooked and had forgotten about, in all of those ordinary things, the Father was carrying out his extraordinary will in you and through you. He's doing it now. As you go about your daily vocations as a parent, as a grandparent, as a son or daughter, as a citizen, as a student, in all of these things, the Father's extraordinary, ordinary purpose for you is done. Make no mistake. Make no mistake. The Father's business is a remarkable thing. It is larger and grander than anything we could imagine. It is extraordinary. But it is ever and always only done in ordinary lives like yours, like mine. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to sing.